1: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
2: This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. No-Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No-Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap what was a very important Titans win over the Chicago Bears. We will also preview the Titans' third primetime game of the season coming up against the Indianapolis Colts. We'll try not to keep you... Too terribly long today, just to make sure that everyone can can get the episode in and, and listen to before Thursday night. Obviously, you know, typically you'd have the whole week to, to listen to an episode, but we know that uh, the time frame is going to be shorter than usual this time. So we'll uh, we'll try to keep us our episode shorter than than usual to make sure everyone gets a chance to listen. Let's start with the Bears game, guys. The Titans had to win this one, or else they would have lost a third straight game. Uh, instead, they got back on the winning track, and despite the fact that not maybe not so much the Pittsburgh loss, but the Bengals loss kind of felt like the end of the world, uh, we sit here looking at the Titans halfway through the season. They're six and two, which you know puts them on pace to be twelve and four. And I think Mike Vrabel said it best on Monday. He was asked for sort of a you know midseason report card, and he said, you know, obviously we haven't accomplished anything yet. But we've put ourselves in a position to be playing meaningful games in the second half of the season, and that's exactly what they've done. We're not going to be having to sit here and say, well, you know, this team needs to lose this many games, and, well, if they can just sneak this one and win six in a row, and, like, not only do they, I hate this phrase, you know, control their own destiny, but they're sitting pretty at this point.
0: Yeah, they're in a pretty good position overall. Uh, The the two losses – uh, they hurt, especially the Bengals one, because it's a team, you know, you have to beat. But despite all that, they're still 6-2, and two, like you said. They're in a really good position to, at the very least, get a playoff uh, spot, a wild card spot, especially with the expanded playoffs. Uh, I would like to see them win the division, but the Colts are right there. They're only a game behind, and we still have to play them twice, so uh, I don't think the division is a foregone conclusion yet uh, for the Titans, but I definitely think uh, they won't end up getting a wild card spot because even though I still believe they have a couple a couple of flaws that that could end up uh, being their undoing at the end of the season, I sh- still think they're good enough as an overall team uh, to win a lot of these remaining games and and put themselves in a really good position to uh, be that top wild card spot or possibly hopefully uh, be the division leader.
1: Yeah, and it kind of double hurts losing those two games because they're both AFC games. So that could ultimately end up mattering. Hopefully it doesn't, and hopefully the Titans just take care of business. But yeah, those were super annoying. Um, But like you said, it, it helps a lot to win this one. It helps a lot to win it in a different way, and it helps a lot that it seems like they finally admitted they have a problem and they're moving forward trying to fix it.
2: And and that's sort of what I wrote after the game in, in my post-game column is that, you know, the Titans' performance against the Bears should be a lesson for the rest of the NFL in that when things are going bad, you change them. And I don't know that Mike Vrabel buys into that. I think John Robinson does. I, I think it was it, be, it became clear to him that it was time for him to to step in, making the moves that he did, the ones we talked about last week, cutting... Big Beasley and Jonathan Joseph going out and trading for Desmond King. When things aren't working, you change them. Otherwise, you fall into the Einstein insanity definition of, you know, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different uh, result. And especially, you know, when things are going as poorly as they were for the Titans defense. I mean, this was unequivocally, from weeks one through eight, the worst defense in the NFL. The worst defense in the NFL. Because you make your money on third down as a defense. I don't know that they were, you know, the the least scoring defense. I'm going to call them the worst because they were the worst on third down. And it was so bad. I mean, those two weeks in a row giving up nearly 70% to the Bengals and the Steelers on third down, I mean, come on. And so when it's going that bad, it can't get any worse. So why not try something different? They tried a lot of somethings different. And it worked. They gave up only two-third down to Chicago. I could not believe that as I was watching it.
0: Yeah, uh, as someone who has watched Bears games uh, too, too many times over the past two seasons, unfortunately that happens rather often. They are one of the worst offenses in the league. By any metric, they are bottom five offense uh, this season. Uh, with uh, Matt Nagy and Nick Foles, just they are quite the, quite the combination of, of play calling and and really poor performances. So, I guess I'm splashing a little bit of cold water on the Titans' defensive performance, just because I think we should be wary that you know the Bears just are for really bad offense, and it's possible that this was still a fluke. But but it really could not get worse. It couldn't get worse than the first half of the season on defense and we did see signs of life of life. We saw Desmond King play uh, particularly well, even though he had like what a couple of practices, if that. So that was encouraging. Uh, Breon borders. I think that's his name. I'm not even entirely sure. Yeah. Breon borders. He, he was great. Like he was infinitely better than Jonathan Joseph. uh, Although we have to do the caveat that they were playing the bears, but to caveat that Caveat: uh, The Bears have a lot of good receivers, and he held up uh, his own, which was really surprising. And I think he's earned himself playing time going forward, especially since we don't know Adore Jackson's status. Uh, we'll we'll know by by tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, but yeah, he's definitely earned some playing time. I thought Roberson played well. Also, we've been we've been clamoring for more playing time for Roberson. He finally got it, and he looked kind of pretty good in the couple of snaps I saw of him in coverage, which. You know we hate, but if they're going to ask them, if they're going to ask the edges to do that, I think it, it's important for them to actually be good at it.
2: We'll, we'll get to that in a second because I want to talk about the tweet exchange you had with uh, what's his name, Matthias? about Landry and the the coverage.
0: Ah, it's yes, Ledyard, uh, right? John,
2: John Ledyard. Yeah. yeah, he, we'll, he we'll...
0: he's a reporter for. Ah, oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah,
2: we'll, we'll get to that because I think that's an interesting uh, topic to discuss. I will say this before you chime in, Will. Uh, on the Matt Nagy issue, this dude ran the ball with an offset fullback on fourth and two. What are we doing? What are we doing? I, I, that was beyond me.
1: Yeah, pe- people are not in love with Nagy. Like, all, all that stuff about him being – because I think if you go back to the first season, he was the head coach. He was the head coach that everybody was most excited about. He won like, coach of the year. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. See, there you go. So, you know, whatever. Like, it shows you kind of what that award means. But, <laughs> you know, I, I'll kind of splash some cold water on the cold water to take something from Matias. Like, they're not they're not a good offense. But they also put up, what was it, 23 on the Saints last week. And then we saw them go out and just absolutely demolish Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. And, you know, whatever. Like, may, you know, maybe – they were really good that game, and this was their worst game. But, I mean, it's not like they were without anybody serious. Their offensive line was bad with or without their starters. Like, there's not really a discernible difference. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not – I'm obviously not buying in to the defense completely, but it's not like we're playing last year's Jaguars where you expect to beat them 49-3. to Like, they're a good team – from top to bottom, especially on defense. And they've got, like you said, they've got Allen Robinson and Mooney and, uh, the kid from Memphis, whose name I can't remember. It's Anthony Miller, number 17, but like they, they have Jimmy Graham who started to get better and better. They've got David Montgomery, which people like for some reason, but I don't understand why, but they, I mean, they've got weapons like, it's not like they're a totally garbage franchise. It has to burn it down at the end of the year. Like they'll have pieces for whatever they do next, but yeah, like it's not going out and shutting down the homes. It's not shutting down the Ravens or anything like that. So it's not, and, and we have seen the defense have spikes of good performances in the past. Like don't, it wasn't that long ago that they took on the Buffalo bills and just absolutely made Josh Allen look terrible. And then he went out and just dusted the Seahawks this past week. So they've shown that they can be good in the right situations. But Tier Tart, Breon Borders, like those guys stepping up was really nice to see in addition to Desk just absolutely being good.
2: Is it sustainable? Not necessarily only giving up two third down conversions, but, you know, in two weeks when they're facing off against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense— is it going to be a disaster like what we saw from weeks one through eight? I'm, I mean I I think anything could happen against the Colts because I think Philip Rivers has been all over the place this year but against a team like the Ravens that have you know a lot of weapons, a good team that wins games No Lamar hadn't been as good this year as he was in the past but he's still you know uh, such a talented player, is this defense going to revert to disaster mode or is this a defense that we can expect to be decent? For for the rest of the year,
0: I don't know, and I honestly don't know if we're gonna know <laughs> for a while, because they play the Colts twice in the next three weeks. Uh, they play the Ravens after this Colts game. The Ravens offense has been terrible. I don't know if you guys have watched them, but they are all out of sync. They can't get the ball to their playmakers. Lamar Jackson has been really inaccurate, and he's kind of lost his feel as a passer, which is surprising. Uh, and then after, after those three games, they play the Browns without Odell Beckham. They play the Jaguars. They play the Lions. Stafford looks really bad also this season. So I don't think until week 16 against the Packers will we actually know whether the Titans' defense is, is you know, much improved or if they're going to be that same, uh, that same unit that we saw in the, in the first half of the season going into the playoffs. I just I, I don't know. Like you said, I don't. It, it can't get worse. It can't get worse. We got rid of Jonathan Joseph. We got rid of Vic Beasley, uh, two guys that were essentially weighing the team down. Uh, you bring in Desmond King, who was really good in his first game, and, and he has a lot of potential to to be a really solid slot corner on this team. I'm still a little concerned about the pass rush, especially with Clowney's injury uh, injuries uh, flaring up, and I'm concerned about the safeties because they're they are nowhere to be found they're they invisible which a lot of the times it's good because they're not getting beat but they're also not making plays and that doesn't exactly help you on defense so uh, I'd like to see Bayard and Vaccaro make a little bit more of an impact going forward and I think if we do get them making an impact I, th- I think the defense overall will will be better for it
1: yeah like I, I just want to say this and touch on it just what, because you brought it up. But the safeties are super concerning. Vicaro's not because Vicaro's, to me, Vicaro's not because he's been pretty consistent as a run defender and a blitzer. So, like, I know he's going to give you that. Nobody was stopping the pass for the first seven weeks season. So, you know, it it's hard to blame anybody specifically there because it looks so bad other than Jonathan Joseph. That's a pretty easy person to blame. But, so here's what bothers me is there was a play at the end of the game. And I tweeted this at the time that it really didn't matter, but it's something I really don't like seeing, which was Byard was standing with his feet on the goal line as the bears were trying to kind of get, trying to score to keep even things up. I think it was 10 to 24 at this point. And there was like a little swing pass and Byard stood with his heels on the goal line and just, stood there. He didn't run up and try to make the tackle. Like he, he didn't run away from contact. Like the, the runner was coming right at him, but he didn't initiate or anything like that. He just stood there and he got run over for a touchdown. And that to me is just so not what Byard has been for his entire career. He's been all heart, somebody who's not afraid of contact or anything like that. And I don't think he's afraid, but it's just, I don't know if he's not trusting himself or what, but like that was not the same 31 that I've seen for the last three years.
0: So I know I noticed the exact same thing when I was just watching the highlights right before mm-hmm. we got on the pod, and I'm going to myself, I'm like, "Is he soft? Has he gone soft? Like, what is going on here?" Because we never see this out of him.
1: Yeah, it's so it's like
2: I mean, that's if you, the if you most talked to me before the season, I would have said that Kevin Byard was a top ten player in the NFL, regardless of position, because and he, you would have been, been correct.
1: Yeah, and you I mean you would have been right. Like if he if he played, let's say he played defensive end for the Titans, like, and the drop-off in performance was as drastic as it's been, from, like, for a safety, like, it would be, I mean, it, it would be terrible. Like, I mean, people would be calling for him to get benched, like, because he's just not making an impact on the game, and if he was getting paid you know, like edge money. Like he's getting paid like pretty high quality safety money and he's just not making any plays in any facet of the game. He's missing tackles. He's doing stuff like this. And this is not really the way I wanted to take this conversation, but it's, it's kind of where we are now. Like, you know, I said it four weeks into the season. I'm like, wow, it's really weird that Bayard hadn't made any plays. And then six weeks in the season, it was like, you know, it's like, man, like Bayard's not doing like, very well it's not it's not like it was in past years where it's like he'll get on a hot streak early in the season and kind of keep that pace and now it's like I have no real confidence that he's gonna make an impact this year like and I'm not saying his career's done or he'll never be great or anything like that but there is a clear disconnect in what the defensive play call is and what he's done for the past three years and for whatever reason he's not you know he's not being opportunistic He's not coming and crashing gaps. Like, I mean, he was a great run defender before he was a great pass defender. Like he didn't have an interception his rookie year, and he still got onto the field because of what he was able to do in the run game.
2: Let me ask you a question, Will, and I'm going to make a baseball analogy to do it, but it's one you'll be able to understand. It's not a complicated one. Even the best of baseball players, you know, Bryce Harper's, the, the Mike Trouts, the Juan Sotos of the world have to get hittable pitches in order to be good. If you just throw the ball at Mike Trout's feet four times, he's just going to walk to first base. Is it that Bayard's not making plays because there are just no plays to be made from his position and he's just getting pitches at his feet?
1: I mean, the Bills game, he had an interception that he just dropped. It, It was like... Allen didn't even see him and he threw him right threw it right at him and he just dropped it and didn't have it. I think there's been another game where he had one go through his hands. I don't remember, but uh, I don't, maybe it was Minnesota or Jacksonville. It feels like it was early in the season. And then, uh, like I said, like, you know, he had a hittable pitch right there. He just watched it, you know, and he got run over for it. So it's like, you know, the times when you can see 31 on the screen, it's not because he's coming down to making a play. It's because the ball's getting run at him or a pass is getting thrown at him. It's not like he's flashing on the screen and you're like, oh, even if like, I'll give you a great example. When you watch the Titans play defense, no matter where the ball goes, you're going to see 98 and 58 around it at the end of the play. Like Simmons and Landry are always around the ball. And sometimes that's, because they're trying to chase it down 20 yards down the field and they're just the first guys that you see kind of pull up as somebody else runs into the screen sometimes it's because they're making plays in the backfield but you see them often and it used to be that way with logan ryan and with kenny vaccaro and kevin byard and it used to be that way with those guys and now you'll occasionally see 24 and then i mean 31 like even Rashawn Evans had more big, like not big plays, quote unquote, but like he had more times where I was watching the game and I was like, oh, who was that? That just over in the pile. And I was like, oh, that was Evans like trying to make a play. Like, okay. I'm, I appreciate that. It didn't go the way he wanted it to, but I do appreciate the effort. Like, I mean, we're just not getting that. So I, I don't think it's like a corner that's being avoided in the passing game. I think it's just like, he's not there. Like, it's very strange, and I don't have a good explanation for it.
2: Matias, I want to talk about, as as we're talking about the defense, I want to shift back to the pass rush, because you had an interaction on Twitter with uh, Joe Ledyard. Is that his name? John Ledyard. John, John Ledyard, or Ledyard, okay. T- tell us about that, because I, when I was scrolling through my timeline and I saw that and you, and you sent it to us, I thought, that's – that's pretty interesting, and it's what it's what Will's been saying for you know two years now.
0: Yeah, so he's a Tampa Bay Bucks writer for Pewter Report. He also does draft stuff. I think he used to work for the Draft Network, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's
1: he so left curious. there. Oh, did did he leave? Okay.
0: Yeah, he left there. He's on Pewter Report uh, now, but uh, he's a good follower. Like, he usually knows what he's talking about, especially when it comes to draft stuff. But he tweeted today—I'll uh, just read the tweet—of edge defenders that have played over four, 400 snaps this season. Only three have dropped the coverage more than Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett. 50 coverage snaps for JPP—and uh, whatever he says, shaking my head because— he has no idea why JPP and Shaq Barrett are, are being forced to drop in a coverage from their from their pass rushing stances. It makes absolutely no sense for them. Uh, and then I replied to him, and I was like, I bet one of those three that has more than those players is Harold Landry. He says, yeah, it's Landry, Kyler Fackrell, and Brian Burns. And I'm just like, Landry and Burns are in the top three of pass rushers being forced to drop into coverage, it's just it's just insane to me. It's, a, it's an epidemic. And it's an epidemic. It's not only the Titans that are doing this. I, like we've seen this, uh, it, we've seen this in the past uh, with the DNP's defenses, but I've seen it on other teams also, and it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know what. I guess. I guess. I guess. I'm not like I'm not really a, a scheme, you know, X's and O's guy, but I would assume that it's to confuse. The quarterback in terms of like, oh, this guy was going to pass rush. Well, it is. Oh, no, now it, we it, dropped it. At least for the time, because
2: right? last year I asked, Dean, I asked Dean Pease, I said, why are you dropping Harold Landry to coverage so much? And this was after most of the other reporters had left, and he said, well, it, it simulates the rush, and it just gives the quarterback something else to look at. And, and so my sort of counter to that from an armchair quarterback's perspective is, okay, so do it like two or three times, not every single third down.
0: That's the thing, right? Very, very it's, smart. It's overkill at this point if you're just going to – yeah, like you you lose the element of surprise. And it's it just – it doesn't work a lot of the time because these pass rushers are going out into the flats or into the middle of the field to cover, and then no one is taking their place. So the quarterback just has a bunch of time to actually make the right decision. And then it completely, you know, defeats the purpose of dropping those guys back into coverage. So I don't get it. I, I, I took some solace in the fact that Brian Burns is one of the other guys that's in the top three. Because Brian Burns is like one of the best pure pass rushers in terms of talent uh, that that are currently in the, in the NFL. And they're forcing him to do this just like Harold Landry is being forced to do it. And I'm just like okay, uh, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, like, this is a viable strategy. But to me, it's just absolutely crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, Burns and Landry are the same guy. Like, they, they're they 4-3 defensive ends, quote-unquote, who came into the league as guys who were really good edge rushers who bent and had, you know, had the speed and length and ability to convert speed to power to get to the quarterback. And these defensive coaches quote unquote just don't seem to understand the right way to use them so i mean it's frustrating like i think even if you go back to uh this bears game like the play that the guy catches the ball like on the sideline with like a foot out i thought he was out of bounds in this in the stadium i couldn't see another view of it but like we caught it with one foot out of bounds it looked like and the other one's in bounds and it was a low catch and all that like Harold Landry, I think, was in man coverage, like off the line of scrimmage. And uh, I don't know, like I've said this so many times that it feels like it's an overreaction. So I'm glad there's context for it, but it's just such a bad way to run a defense. Like the concept only barely makes sense because what you're saying is, okay, we're going to simulate pressure by lining up all these guys and then blitzing some of them and dropping the other ones. It's like, well, okay, cool. If it's Landry and coverage, that's that's going to be difficult. But nobody thinks Simmons is going to drop back and cover anybody. Nobody thinks Taquan Jones is going to do that. Rashawn Evans can't. Jayon Brown can, but he's probably a better blitzer. So what ends up happening is you get six guys at the line of scrimmage declaring, but there's really only about four of them who could actually drop back. And the tendency is for one of them to do it 95% of the time, and the other ones may do it. And if they do it, it doesn't affect anything. So you end up bringing all these guys out of position to try to confuse the quarterback, and all you end up doing is giving him these free alleys while these guys try to rush back and get into where they're, like, their zones are supposed to be. So it, it's just it's just a really stupid idea that hasn't worked for two or three years now on this team. And it would be great if they realized that and adapted. But, I mean, is just not going to do it.
2: I – I is this – and I made the joke in our, our group chat earlier. I said, you know, the 34 defense needs to die. A, a, but at the same time, I understand that a lot of times when we're playing Nick one third down, it's not really a 34 defense. It's, it's you know, it's four pass rushers and two linebackers and three corners. So what is – it? I don't understand this. Like I feel like Tony Dungy would cringe watching this happen.
0: Yeah, I, I don't understand it either, but like I said I'm not like a pure football X's and O's guy, so hey, Listen, maybe we're missing something, but uh, I I feel like I feel the same way a lo- about some offensive things that that I don't understand like <laughs> the
2: Yeah, you know <laughs> uh, what we really uh, need to, like we we need to I know who it might need to be. Maybe it needs to be Jeff Fisher. We need to get Jeff Fisher on this show, which, as I'm thinking about, might actually be possible. We need to get Jeff Fisher on this show and just ask him all of these questions we have of, like, why in the world are they doing these things? Not even just the Titans, just, like, around the NFL. I think that would be fun.
0: That would be cool. That would yeah, be cool, because I would like to know the, the pass rushers dropping back into coverage and also, obviously, the playing 15 yards off the ball when it's third and eight or something like that. <laughs> like, I would love to to know the rationale behind a lot of these things that we see across the NFL. It's not only the Titans, it's not only them. We'll, we'll get to work I mean, on that.
1: Dean Pease, like, does go on the radio. Like, I that's mean, true. I have. I have no although, idea although, how to contact. The the thing with Dean Pease,
2: though is I feel like he's not gonna he's not gonna bat not and again not that we're looking to throw anybody under the bus but he's not gonna like badmouth Vrabel he's gonna defend Vrabel and again not that we're looking for like a an angle here I just want someone that's gonna be unbiased whether it's whether they say it's not that big a deal
0: or this is stupid you know. We do have a good relationship with Valentino Blake, so oh, yeah. we could get him on the podcast.
1: <laughs>
2: why uh, was Why was Dick LeBeau telling you to play ten yards off on fourth
1: and two? Yeah, and then he would just like scream obscenities and hang up on us. Um, it, sort of uh, an interesting thing is uh, Wesley Woodyard's been super active, and Ryan Muton has just gotten on Twitter. So those are guys that seemingly it sounds bad to say, but like are ready to talk. Like, you know, they're, they're ready to like say things and come out and say like, look, this is why they did this. This is, you know, uh, so I, I don't know if that, this is kind of just less, like live pitching ideas that we think makes sense and sound good. But I mean, I, I, I need somebody to come in and explain to me why they do the same things over and over and over. And I guess if the answer is, well, they think that's the best way to do it and you know they think that practice that's that's their best guess i can accept that it's bad logic it just speaks to a lack of creativity but if i hear somebody else say it i guess i can at least yeah. accept it but <laughs> so, so, someone it, that,
2: that's not just defending their team
1: yeah like i can't and i cannot hear another non-answer where Vrabel goes up to the mic and says, (laughs) you know, we we put 11 guys out on the field and we try to do our best. And and I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, man. Like, I know. It's so annoying. He's been really
2: bad with that this year. Like, I mean, every coach does it, but like Vrabel's gotten really bad with that. Like, I don't know if any of you saw, like, it was one of the worst post-game press conferences he's ever given. He answered like every other question with, I'll know, I'll know the answer to that once we go back and watch the tape. I'm like, well, dude, did you not watch the game?
1: Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, that's that's something that Packers fans hated McCarthy for. Like, he was notorious for saying, and I think Marvin Lewis did it too, which is like, these coaches know that if they're like, well, I'll have to watch the tape about that. Like, even if it's like, you had 12 guys on the field, you know why you had 12 guys on the field? It's like, well, I have to watch the tape. And It's like, okay, like, you just did it. Like, so that that's very frustrating i mean i think part of it is again sure he's not the defensive coordinator we don't technically have a defensive coordinator and shane bowen makes all the play calls like whatever lie you want to believe but the the play caller defensive coordinator whatever mike Vrabel, like he's having to answer all these questions and it's the first time he's had to do this and be a head coach and it's a lot of different questions that he has to cover and he's just like, It's too much. I, I don't I I used to be able to say, you know, Dean thought it would be the best idea to do that and nobody I mean, would have I, any follow ups.
2: My least favorite verbalism is he's gotten to where this season if you ask him why did something go wrong, his answer is like become always didn't didn't play well enough, didn't coach well enough.
1: Well, that's almost as annoying to me as when he says uh, when somebody does good or bad, it works both ways. It's like, you know, it takes 11 guys to make a play on a football field. Nobody play, We lost, so nobody played well. We, you know, we won, so everybody played well enough. But we have things to work on. It's like, that's not how this game works. Like, it's not a group <laughs> project that you turn in. And like, the results are important. And he knows that. Like, that's crazy. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, no, nobody should ask him. It's not fair or whatever. I would love to hear him say, like, you know, the games we played, like, there were no games where Tom Brady played really well and we didn't win. Like, we only won games. We only lost games when Tom Brady played terribly. And he never, like, because it's just not true. Like, but whatever. That's, that's. my rant of what I don't like in coach speak this week
2: (laughs) let's take a break
1: and then when we come back we're going to talk
2: about the Titans upcoming Thursday night football game against the Colts all right guys Titans Colts and and this is a really big one I mean I I I hate the phrase this is the biggest game yet this year because then like you know the way the season works is they get more important as you go so guess what two weeks later is probably going to be even more important uh but this is a crucial game for the Titans really these you know, these next three weeks are because with the Texans and Jaguars long gone out of this division race, uh, it's between the Titans and the Colts. And and I'll just be blunt. If the Titans screw this up over the next three weeks and drop two to the Colts, it's probably over as, as far as their AFC South hopes are concerned. There's a lot riding on these games. They need to win the one at home so that instead of, you know, plan to save your season in two weeks in Lucas Oil Stadium you're playing for a sweep
0: yeah I, I think this division could really come down to the very last to the very last game but if the Titans were to win this game and maybe even the second one against the Colts I mean they're they're totally in the driver's seat especially when you consider uh, that the Colts still have a couple of, of tough games coming up. I mean, they still have to play the Raiders and the Steelers on the road. Uh, they still have to play the Packers. Um, so they they have some games coming up that are kind of tricky, and they're already one game behind the Tide. And so I think the Titans really – they're in a good position, but we've just seen it so many times before where they can't uh, – they just struggle in the division. Thankfully, it hasn't happened this year. They've won the two – Uh, division games that they've played although they were close way close for comfort so I'm expecting this one to be close although the Titans always seem to play very well on Thursday night I know most of the times it's against uh, the Jaguars but I remember they played against they played against the Colts on Thursday night uh, when Chris Johnson was still on the team and they they wrecked them so uh, I, I think they usually come out to play on Thursday night, and especially this being a home game. I think they're going to come out hot, and I think they're going to win, honestly. Like, I, I don't think the Colts are all that great. They have a really good defense uh, that plays very well, very sound football, but I, I think the tight ends are going to come out with a little more, um, you know, pop-up. I, I don't even know the expression. A little bit <laughs> more <oomph. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Pop-up. Pop <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know if how relevant this stat is. I was trying to look it up, but there was a long time where it was like the home teams in the Thursday night football matchups won like six out of it. Like, or sorry, it's at six uh, out of 15 games. It was was something like a six to two ratio. It was like a, so like a three to one ratio. Like it was just so hard to go on the road and win. And like, I think that's, Generally true, but I also don't know how true that is this year with uh, no crowds and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure how relevant that stat is now. But you know, it's important to win the one at home, like you said. Like it's I don't I don't know that it's like a must win or anything like that. Like I think I think it definitely would have been if they would have lost last week because I think four in a row makes you really skid out of control. Um, you're on a short week with some banged up guys. You're not going to have Adam Humphreys. That's going to suck. So, like, it would be great for them to win this one. I think they are the better team. I think they match up well with the Colts. So, I, I mean, plus the secret factor here is it'll be 50 degrees and Derrick Henry gets to run the ball in 50-degree weather. Like, that generally works out pretty well. But,
2: talk about you know. Be- also, before you finish, talk about your 2,000-yard thing.
1: Oh, yeah. So I wrote something today about how uh, Derrick Henry's going to rush for 2000 yards this year. So congratulations. I told you that early. You know it now. Um, essentially, what's happened is uh, Derrick Henry's run for something like eight hundred and
2: ninety
1: six. Eight ninety six. Okay. So basically nine hundred yards. This time last year, November 10th, which is when we're recording this is uh, the Chiefs game. So from November 10th onward last year, he averaged 149 yards per game rushing. And that was over six games. And it included when he had like the hurt hamstring that he had to deal with and, you know, all that stuff. So first of all, and and he did it the December four, that's, you know, that's when DeHember like really started. So he's done it since 2007 or 2018 and 2019 if he does that this year and just lives up to that average pace that he set last year he doesn't need to have 200 yard games whatever like then he will have 2100 yards or some or 2090 rushing yards if you want to take the last 8 games or the first 8 games from that November 10th mark because there's 8 games left for the Titans and use that; it actually goes up to 159 because of the playoffs, where he absolutely destroyed everybody. So that it, at that pace, he would rush for 2,100 yards and change. So, based on the start he has up until this point, which is second leading rusher in the NFL, uh, and how he always turns once the weather gets below that, like 70 range or whatever, and, you know, whether it's people want not wanting to tackle him or the run game finally getting better, wh- whatever it is, once DeHember starts, he averages like 145 to 150 yards a game, and it's on. So all he has to do, and even with the offensive line injuries, even with all that kind of stuff, he is on pace currently at that rate to break 2,000 yards, which isn't shocking, I guess. But it is also shocking. Like it, it's, it's not shocking that Henry could have had a 2,000-yard season. It's surprising that we're halfway through it and we spent the first month of it talking about how it was really hard for him to produce.
2: Yeah, I honestly, think- when, when you sent that number to us this morning, Will, I was sort of caught, caught off guard by it.
0: Yeah, I was too. Um, well, I, I think – I'm interested to see how he gets through these next three weeks because the Colts are a really good defense, as we know. They have a good front seven. Baltimore has a really good front seven. But as you noted, as you noted Will, Calais uh, Campbell might be out for that game. So might get a little easier. But after these three weeks, I mean, we get the Browns, the Jaguars, the Lions, the Packers, and the Texans. Those last three weeks against the Lions, Packers, and Texans, he might get like 600 yards total. It, between those games because the Packers are one of the worst run defenses I've ever seen, like period in NFL history. I've never seen teams so undisciplined in terms of run fits and all that. Uh, the Lions are also very poorly coached in terms of run defense, and we saw what Henry has already done to the Texans once this season. He could go bonkers those last three weeks if they if they let him play and if we actually need him to play. Uh, in order to secure a higher seat, But I'm excited. I'm excited for that final stretch, especially considering uh, his success in the month of December and late November.
1: And not not to kind of point everything back to my article that everybody should go check out on Titan Sized, but uh, I actually did the math and just took the average rushing yards per game allowed by the teams they have left on the schedule. So if you look at starting with the Colts this week, if you look at the eight games they have left versus those defenses – the average total of rushing yards they allow would be 932 yards when you add them all up. That would put Henry at 1,775 yards rushing. So if the Titans can just put league average rushing yards on them, on each of these teams going forward, then that would get Henry to 1,775. The difference between 1,775 and 2,000 yards is 28 yards per game. So the question is, do you think the Titans' commitment to the running game and Derrick Henry are enough to get that extra 28 yards a game? And again, anything could happen. But when you put it as all they have to do is have 28 yards more than the average allowed by these teams, it, it does seem much closer than, okay, Henry has to go on this amazing run, like he, uh, yeah. even though he has done it twice.
2: I'll say this. you know, he, He's going to get 100 yards in every game by virtue of volume. He has basically every game this year, save a couple, but he got close in those. Uh, But he's going to have, you just know it. He's going to have two, probably, of those breakout games where he runs for 230 yards. And that's what's going to get him there. So, And I'm not sitting here saying, bet on it, Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards. I'm just saying, like you are, Will, it's very reasonably possible. This is not that outlandish to talk about.
1: Yeah, it's it's just math. Like, that's that's the crazy thing is I did something similar when I looked at Ty Sambrello versus Taylor one which oh, there was a three-game period where they played the Bills, the Texans, and the Vikings, and Sambrello played almost as much but actually more than Lewan, and the Titans were averaging more points per drive with Sambrello than they were with Lewan. So it, this is not me saying – I think that Derrick Henry is a lock for 2,000 yards, but it is me saying that if he just does what he's always done before, then he will get 2,000 yards. It's just math.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I kind of want to talk about another uh, very talented player on the Titans' offense, AJ Brown, who good guy, good player, good receiver, good
1: player, man. Like, not, not sure I've heard of him.
0: I was, I don't, I was kind of skeptical about whether he could take that next step this season. And even though he's been hampered by injuries, he's turning into one of the elite touchdown scorers in the NFL. And he could just beat you in so many ways. And I think it's clear that he's hampered by these injuries, right? Like he doesn't look as explosive as he did last year, but he still has these plays. Like he had one against Chicago where he's just outrunning defenders. He's, he made some guy, uh, he broke some guy's ankle on, on one of those plays, uh, and then he makes that catch uh, on a beautiful Tannehill throw, by the way. And th- but perfect catch by AJ Brown, uh, beats his guy, and then he extends at the goal line. I mean, wow, man, what a player, what a draft pick, and it's so comforting to see whenever whenever these social media accounts um, do those tweets where it's like these players all got drafted before DK Metcalf. And they can't put A.J. Brown in those lists because A.J. Brown is just as good. And it's so comforting to know that we have that type of player uh, on the offense.
1: Yeah, like the numbers you look at when you look at like touchdowns per game and stuff since he's been back and what he's looked like when he's been healthy, like just statistically, like we've spent so many years watching good wide receivers and good tight ends and, and all that with the Titans that just couldn't get the volume they needed to have impressive seasons so it was just us screaming into the void and saying like look delaney walker's really good i know he's not getting a thousand targets because he's he didn't work and he didn't play in an offense like that with a quarterback like that but he's really good i promise now it's like all you have to do is look at the page like if you're not going to watch titans you can at least look at the box score and understand the kind of impact he has so yeah like i'm i'm 100 with you it's crazy that they're both like that AJ Brown and Derrick Henry are both having these monsters and Tannehill too, are all having these monster seasons when it really has felt like this was the year where they they were either going to have to say like, we're going to be a pass heavy team or we're going to be a run heavy team. And they just kind of said, no, we're just going to be really good on offense and score a lot of points different
0: ways. Yeah. And Corey Davis and Johnny Smith also like have been having uh, one of their best seasons. So it's just an all around great offense and it's good that we can rely on that especially during this first half of the season where the defense wasn't uh up to par if the defense we, we've talked about this if the defense is just just reverts back to average above average like this is a team that should make a really deep playoff run
2: agreed all right guys let's get to stop the nonsense so that we can get everybody out and and uh good enough time to be able to finish this episode before thursday Uh, I'll start this week, since I don't start very often. Mine goes out to our good friends at PFF, Pro Football Focus. I saw this creep along the timeline on Tuesday night, while, though this isn't my stop the nonsense it can be, Kroger had me sit for 20 minutes waiting to get a flu shot and then informed me that my insurance rejected it and I would need to go to my healthcare provider and not to a pharmacy to get it done. So thank you, Kroger, for wasting 20 minutes of my life that I'll never get back. But that's not my Stop the Nonsense. This PFF tweet that I saw during those 20 minutes is. Jerry Judy is a star, was the caption of this tweet, along with a graphic showing Jerry Judy among Broncos receivers. Not among NFL receivers, among Broncos receivers since week eight. Target share 25% first on the team. So one in every four targets goes to Jer- from Drew Locke goes to Jerry Judy. And seven 10-plus yards receptions, which is f- first on the team. So they're glorifying this man, Jerry Judy, for numbers that put him first, not in any major category in the NFL, but on his own team. But that's not even the problem with this. Remember at the beginning I said Jerry Judy among receivers since week eight? It's week nine! We're in week nine! This was last week! What are we doing? Why are we. F- like, this is like cooking the books, doctoring the stats to make them look better than they actually are. I mean, goodness gracious, PFF. I, you know, I. It. it they, they get on my nerves. Uh, you know, and fake stats get on my nerves, too. You know, target percentage, that's a real stat. Uh, uh, you know, 10-yard reception, that's a real stat. I'll give them that. But I saw something. I can't remember if this was PFF or something else. It was like, this quarterback, and I sent this to y'all, this quarterback is the NFL's leader in big-time throws this year with 12. What does that mean? What is a big-time throw?
0: They love that stat. They absolutely yeah. love that. Is that, that P- stat. is that a PFF thing I don't know too? what it means. It's PFF. Oh my god. Yeah. It's
2: PFF
1: stat. <sighs>
0: what is, what
2: they, is
1: it what? that they mean when they say that? Uh, I uh, think
0: it's like a tight window throw.
1: Yeah, or think. it's like it's like it's got to be deep or like for a first down. It's it's something really weird like that. I, I can't remember what the qualifiers are, but it's so funny to hear him say because it's like, this is like big play throw per pass attempt, and it's like okay, just so a bunch of numbers you made up. Great. Like, I, I I cannot stand that. Like, I think PFF has some, like, redeeming value here and there. But, like, even, you know, if you're a Bustin' with a Boys fan, like, LaJuan talks, like, hates PFF because he just talks about how they don't know what they're doing. So, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, so, mine's not a long one. And if you haven't seen it, I'll retweet it, and it'll be on my timeline. But there's a video of... The Jets game from last night, which is we're recording this on Tuesday and the Jets almost lost Trevor Lawrence because they almost beat the Patriots. And that was embarrassing for everybody involved. But the most embarrassing thing is as again, I need to explain this so you can really understand. This is a game that if they win, it could potentially doom them for the next 10 years because they could get into this middle ground where they hire an okay coach and you know move on or whatever like they need to lose badly to get somebody that re rebrands that entire organization so in this important moment when they're winning and about to cost themselves that chance there's a camera that cuts to the coaches booth where the personnel are and everything. And they find Joe Douglas, who's the general manager of the jets and who will probably oversee hiring the next coach after this season. Like he's, he's not going to get fired. I don't think cause he was hired at, they're not a tandem deal, but they zoom in on him and he's just asleep in the press box. Like he's <laughs> not, he's not in the back. He's front and center hunched over no sunglasses on or anything like that just a Jets mask on and the camera zooms in on him and he's just asleep it is
2: can you blame
1: him though I mean if if you I can I can't blame him because I watched the Titans for two years when they won five games and every game I was on the edge of my seat hoping they would lose so they could get a franchise quarterback and we finally got Mariota and you so, weren't getting
2: paid seven figures to do that either. Yeah,
1: and I wasn't getting paid seven figures to do it. And it also wasn't my fault that they're 0-8. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, he's beyond horrified at this point. He's just like, is everybody just paying attention to Adam Gase? Okay, I'm going to take a quick nap.
0: It also <laughs> wasn't even a bad game. That game was kind of exciting. It was close. It, it was a
1: last-second uh, field goal that won it, wasn't it? Like, yeah, it was close. Man,
2: I can count on one hand the number of Monday Night Football games I've watched that weren't Titans games in the last like three years. The matchups always suck, and I know ESPN's broadcast team has at least gotten better, but like, I don't know. I have just never really enjoyed that product and and the way that they present games. And again, the matchups always suck.
0: It's the only reason I watch is because of fantasy football. There's there's no other. If there were no fantasy Damn. football implications, I don't know if I'd watch another fo- another, another football game that wasn't a Titans game.
1: Uh, and I am on the other side of this argument where <laughs> I wish they would find a way to have preseason games on like a Wednesday <laughs> night during the regular season so I could have something to watch that's football. <laughs> Which I guess they have Mac games, so it's kind of similar. Matthias, bring us home. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'll wrap up with uh, an utterly absurd decision in the Ravens-Colts game, which went against Colts, which was cool. Uh, but it was just—I I, I don't understand, man. I, I do not understand the NFL. I don't understand their rules. I don't understand their interpretation of the rules. They just don't make sense. There er, There is so much gray area. And they just make it worse with, with, with their explanation. So the play was the, uh, the Marcus Peters interception. Rivers throws the ball up uh, to, I think it was Michael Pittman or, or someone. It's 10-7 at the time. Start of the third quarter, 11 minutes left. 10-7, the Colts are up. Rivers th- throws the ball up. Marcus Peters catches it, kind of, kind of. He catches it on his fingertips. And as he's backing up... Uh, like backpedaling because he's getting brought down, he completely loses control of the ball. Like the ball is on the floor. It's on the floor. And they rule this as an interception. They review it, and they still rule it an interception. And I just don't understand. I don't understand what the rule has become because for, for, I don't even know for how long, we had the Calvin Johnson thing where you need to complete the process of the catch while you're going to the ground. Marcus Peters was dropping the ball before he even went to the ground. Uh, And their explanation of this, Al Riveron, who I don't even know what his job is. I think he's like the head of officials or something. To screw things up. That's what Al Riveron's job is. That guy sucks. He says, we have clear and obvious visual evidence where the defender controls the football and takes three steps. He didn't even take three steps. He completely we? lost control of the football. What do we I, doing? I, don't, I don't understand. I mean, I, I, you know, it was funny.
2: I, uh, you know, during Titans games, I'm pretty 100% drawn into that. But while I was writing my column after the game, I saw tweets about the Marcus Peters interception. I was like, well, oh, I have to check that out later. So, like, in the evening, I was watching NBC's highlight show, and they showed that play, like, just full speed. And I thought, oh, so they're going to play off of this and be like, but this was the Marcus Peters play that, that really got people's attention. And then they were like, and they called that an interception. I was like, no way. That was, that was the, that was the pick? Like, um, and that wasn't even like, you know, because what when they changed the rule a couple years ago, what they wanted to do was, you know, make the Calvin Johnson play a catch. Make the Des Bryant play a catch. That wasn't anything like those plays. And I think it was someone on the Dan Patrick show one time I was listening to said the NFL catch rule just needs to be if it would be a catch playing in the backyard with your siblings or your friends, then it's a catch. And if it wouldn't be, then it's not a catch. And no way in the world would, you know, any of our childhood friends that we played, you know, touch football with have allowed that to be an interception. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, it was terrible. Like. And this is spoken from somebody who wants nothing but whatever misfortune, I guess, for the Colts, Texans, and Jaguars. So, like, it 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 was it was hard to watch. And like I said, I was happy with the result, but like that, I don't know. Like that just feels dirty. Like that 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 didn't yeah. happen. And I mean, like interceptions are supposed to be like these cool things where they're great plays on the they, ball, or they're like you great know, well, they're, technique.
2: They're, they're supposed to be catches.
1: Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, a catch would be nice to be part of it. But (laughs) yeah, like that was, that was gross. Like, uh, I don't know. Even, even Rivers didn't deserve that.
2: And and Matias, you know, even the the paraphrase you gave of what Al Riveron said, we're getting too scientific with this. I mean, I get, I'm, I'm a rules person. always, always have been, you know, do things by the letter of the law, but like at a certain point, there's too many rules.
0: I I also feel like there needs to be like some, some personal logic, you know, yes. <laughs> like when it comes to this, it can't just be like, oh, he made a football move, so it's a catch. What, what is it? What? I, I mean, does it look like he exactly. actually caught the ball? And yeah. in this case, not even close. No one, literally no one. Like you can go on Twitter, go anywhere. I bet you, you ask a Ravens player, they'll be like, no, there's no way. That was not a catch. I know Philip Rivers
2: had a comment of something in his press conference of something like, no one that watched that play who has ever played in the NFL thinks that was an interception.
0: It, the thing for me is like he legitimately never had control of that ball. It, like his fingertips are clinging onto it while the receiver is breaking up the pass. It just it's 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 baffling to me and i can't believe we're still here it's 2020 okay. how how long have how, we been doing
2: this? i would it's have been been like do- two days i would have to delete twitter if that had happened to the titans could you imagine
0: the reaction i'd i'd, I'd be put in a twitter jail for saying some <laughs> <things>. <laughs> well that's gonna
2: do it for this episode uh a, a bit congested because of the short week, but we'll be back next Wednesday with a full episode, perhaps with Jeff Fisher. We'll see what we can do in that department. Uh, but until then, for Willa Matias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.
1: This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries.